Amen. Well, this morning as we get into the Word with those online and in other venues, um, we are going to keep looking at the Jesus way. And if you're new with us this morning, we're studying through the book of Acts the early church, and how Scripture records their uh, efforts and their successes in living out the Jesus way in a broken world without Jesus, which is a pretty tall task, right? And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 6, where we left off last week. You can turn there in your Bibles or your Bible apps. But as you do that, I want to ask you, when was the last time that you had to tell the truth in a tough situation? When was the last time that you had to tell the truth? And what makes it tough is when it's going to cost you something, right? When was the last time you you were asked to uh, give a testimony about a situation and you knew that the truth might cost you? And it might have been it costed you a promotion at work telling the truth, or it could have cost you a friendship. It could have cost you a comfortable Thanksgiving dinner with your family. It could have cost you all sorts of different things that sometimes telling the truth when people would just prefer that we lived a lie. We've all been in situations like that. Um, you know, I have three kids, and often when, one or, when two of them have a dispute, we call upon the, the non-disputing member to bear witness to what actually happened. It's a horrible position to be in, right? And that happens to us sometimes in life. I remember a moment in high school when Jesus had just been getting a hold of my life and some things were starting to change. I was kind of going through some of those things where I was realizing uh, what had been normal for me was not normal if I wanted to serve Jesus. It wasn't the right way to live out my life. It wasn't what God had called me to do. And so I was making some of these changes in my life. I was kind of taking a step back from certain social activities and social settings that had been normal for me. I was taking a step back from certain habits. And I was trying to live out this Jesus way. And there was a moment where a group of my friends that I was trying to hold on to, I was trying to maintain these friendships, though I was distancing myself from a lot of things we at one time done together, um, well, this group of friends did something that was kind of in line with the kinds of things we had always done, but this time they got caught. And uh, I was not involved, but I knew what had happened. I knew what, was, go- what, what uh, was going on, and I was brought in to the school office to bear witness against what my friends had done. And, and, you know, moments like this, they rarely come with, like, a calendar appointment. Like, prepare your speech a week in advance. Know what you're going to say, what you want to do. You're just in that moment, and all of a sudden, you're sweating. You're like, do I tell the truth and maintain uh, my integrity and in this journey that I'm on with Jesus? I know I'm supposed to. Or do I do what I've done before and tell a lie and kind of protect these friendships? And you all want to know what I did. And frankly, that's none of your business. <laughs> Maybe we'll get into that another time. My point is, I want you to live with, oh, you guys, you guys think I'm a big liar, don't you? And I'm sure the online crowd is with me. You guys are voting for my integrity. Well, the point is, it's an uncomfortable place to be, right? Regardless of what you choose, and praise God for his grace in moments when we've chosen the wrong thing, we probably all have for the sake of social comfort at some point or another, it's an uncomfortable place to be. And we see that with one of the newly elected leaders that we we heard about last week. Early in Acts chapter six, the church was growing. And by the way, as this church is growing, I wanna say thank you to all of you that have flexed 
different times of serving and waking up and going to church and family plans. I know that's a, a challenge. And I want to especially thank this morning all of the parking team and greeters that were in like 27 degree weather this morning getting ready for us. And we're all going to praise God when there's like a paved parking lot out there. That'll be, that'll be an amazing gift. We'll actually value it because we've seen the war zone that it is out there. But all that to say, the church in Acts was growing and they recognized this leadership need. And they chose um, from among many of the new Greek converts, right? Not Jewish disciples of Jesus, but people that had come to Jesus since Jesus had ascended. They chose seven leaders. Remember, people that were respectable, full of the Spirit, wise. And one of those was a guy named Stephen. And Stephen was released as a leader in the church to do ministry under the supervision of the apostles. Remember, they kind of maintained like a, a top leadership tier and then raised up this next tier of leadership to help administrate the ministries of the church. And so Stephen's doing ministry, but not long into Stephen's uh, ministry, he's going to be put on the spot in a really difficult situation. And we're going to read about that here in Acts chapter 6 and, and learn some things from it this morning as followers of Jesus we pick up in verse 8 where it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Again, a reference to the kinds of people we are, we are meant to become. He performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them, however, could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God, which was against the Jewish law. Verse 12, this roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. And the lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen, because his face became as bright as an angel's. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Stephen is put on the stand to defend himself. He has no other defender. He has his own defendant, his own, his own defense attorney and the defendant. He's going to testify to what he believes is the truth. Interestingly, while everyone is staring at him on the, on the uh, tail of these accusations, Stephen's face begins to shine like that of an angel's, a reference to the very person he was said to blaspheme, to Moses in the Old Testament, a man who had spent time in the presence of God to the point that it was physically visible to the people around him. Right Now, Stephen got here, and I want to point this out, Stephen got here by simply doing what we are all called to do. Now, some things stand out about it, right? It says that, that uh, he was full of God's grace. We should all be that. It says that he was full of God's power. We should be that. However, that's displayed in our lives through different spiritual gifts or prayers or those kinds of things. It says that he spoke with wisdom that came from the Holy Spirit. Now, these are things that have also been said of the apostles, and sometimes when we read the New Testament, it is easy for us to say, oh, that's what the people who actually walked with Jesus did. That's not what Christians do. But I want to remind you that Stephen 
probably never walked with Jesus. Stephen was a Greek believer. And Stephen I likely came to Christ through the apostolic ministry of the church. And he was a later follower of Jesus and is operating in the same gifts of the Holy Spirit that the apostles were. And I want to remind you today that we are called to do the same thing. Now, it won't always look the same as Stephen, but we are called to minister in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to the world around us. And when we do, when we share the truth of Jesus, God often confirms it with miracles and wisdom that can't be attributed to us, right? When we actually step out in faith with God and say, I'm gonna point to Jesus through praying for a coworker. I'm gonna point to Jesus through sharing with a neighbor. I'm gonna point to Jesus by, by saying something to a family member again about what God is doing in my life. When we do that, God often opens the door to also testify with us by miraculous signs or by divine wisdom, And that's part of the way God, with us, does his mission in the world around us. Now, what's interesting is wouldn't we all rather get to sit back and watch God do that without us? But throughout Scripture, what we see is God does that in step and in partnership with his people. And so when we share the truth of Jesus, God often confirms it. The question is, do we recognize our purpose and mission to share the truth of Jesus in whatever way that we can? Right, And it doesn't always mean that we walk around you know, being a, a street corner preacher. That, that may be as a specific calling, but more often it's in the day-to-day interactions of life that we share the good news of Jesus and God confirms it with what he does around us in answering our prayers and giving us wisdom. So that's what Stephen was doing. Stephen was just doing what all Christians are called to do. But then Stephen uh, finds some opposition, right? There's the synagogue, and interestingly, even the language in the Greek is kind of saying it's the so-called synagogue of freed slaves. Now, this was a society, kind of a brotherhood of, of Jews from around the Roman Empire. It mentioned several cities there that had at one point been or been related to slaves to Roman citizens. And they had been set free legally for whatever reason, bought their freedom, been granted their freedom. And they had formed a brotherhood around this. And this group, despite their physical freedom, does not like that Stephen is preaching a different kind of freedom in Jesus. And so they debate Stephen. They can't debate Stephen because the word of God is on Stephen's side. And so finally, what do they do? They just lie. They lie and they pay lying witnesses to accuse Stephen of things that will get him in a situation where he will be imprisoned or punished in some way, shape, or form. And that's what brings Stephen to this moment where he is sitting on the court of the Jewish council. And this trial is a picture that we see again and again throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, we see what is called the courtroom theme brought up. And in this courtroom theme, there is this question between heaven and earth of who's telling the truth. There's this question between God and humanity of who's right and who's wrong. There's this question of who's actually on the side of freedom and who's actually on the side of slavery. Now, we see in Scripture that there is a courtroom and the ultimate courtroom is in heaven, that God runs the ultimate court of heaven and he is the final say on what is truth and what is lie, what is right and what is wrong. And those that come to the side of truth will end up with eternal freedom from sin and from every other kind of bondage, sick, pain, death, all of it. 
But we also live in a world that has a different kind of court, sometimes symbolized by the authority structures of humanity, but the scripture says that because of human sin in this world, the devil has been given authority to run his own world system, which is built on corrupting the truth of God and enslaving people through lies. And it's through often false courtroom situations or misuse of authority on the human side of things that the devil keeps the lie going and keeps people in bondage. We see this go back and forth in different moments in Scripture. And one passage where Jesus calls this out amongst the Jews is in John chapter 8. I'm not going to go through it this morning, but you could read through it if you're wanting to, to read more about this. But in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 47, you'll see that Jesus kind of calls out the problem with the Jewish religious leadership in his day was that they actually weren't following God. And he says to them pretty audaciously, but when you're Jesus, you can do that. He says, you're actually not following God at all. You're using scripture, but you're following the devil. <laughs> Pretty bold to say to the group of people that supposedly represented God. But Jesus knew what he was talking about. And he recognized in every setting he was testifying, usually before a human court of people, judging what he was saying, and a divine court of people where God and the angels and the demons are watching and assessing what he's saying. By the way, we are all doing the same thing. And Stephen, that morning, was being assessed by two courts. But what we have to remember as Christians in these moments where we are called upon or given opportunity to bear witness to the truth is that Jesus first came to declare the truth. And not only did he de declare the truth, but he also took our just penalty for all of the times that we had lived a lie. He took our just penalty in the true courtroom of heaven. That's why scripture talks about him taking the judgment of his own father on himself because that judgment was the just punishment for our sins. So Jesus declared the right way to live and then he died for all of our wrong ways of living. Why? So that he could break the power of sin that keeps us enslaved to the devil's lies. And man, we could spend all day listing all of the lies the enemy uses to keep us bound. But the, it's much simpler to look at the one testimony of truth that keeps calling generation after generation, culture after culture, back to our creator in a loving relationship that helps us be who we were created to be. Jesus opened the door for that and we are called to follow in his footsteps of declaring truth and laying down our lives so that others can know it. So Stephen now takes the stand as a witness both before heaven and before an earthly council, and he knows that there are two audiences and they want two different answers. Right, the court of heaven expects him to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, but he also knows that this court of humanity wants to hear a certain kind of truth. And there will be short-term consequences if they don't hear it. And so we read on in Acts chapter 7 where most of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen making his case as his own defense attorney. From verse 2 to verse 50, which we won't, won't read this morning, Stephen makes his case by giving a review of Old Testament history. And if you're one of the many Christians that's ever like tried to slog your way through the Old Testament and you're like, God, why is this so long? And what is this story about? Why is this one in here? 
You know, sometimes it's good to read some of the New Testament Cliff Notes versions, and this is one of them. You might want to write that down, Acts 7, 2 through 50, and when you're in a tough spot in the Old Testament, come back and read this less than a chapter and be like, oh, maybe that's part of what my story is, is explaining here. But again, long story, literally short, in, this, in his case, in this review of Old Testament history, Stephen shows what went well and what didn't in the history of the Jewish people, right? He says what, what went well and what didn't in the history of this Jewish people by first of all pointing out some of the people he was accused of blaspheming. And he says, you know what, there were some good examples. There was Abraham, there was Moses, there were David, there were these people that went after God and experienced God and they were, they were, they were images of what we were all supposed to be. But he also points out something else. He points out the fact that most of the Jews throughout history were not like Abraham, Moses, and David. He says most of our ancestors in the Old Testament actually were known for idolatry and adultery towards God. Most of the history of both the Jews, but also the history of all humanity, and we read about that in Romans chapter 1, that not only the Jews, though they were a picture of it, but all of humanity has chosen rejection towards God. And the history of humanity tells a story. It tells a story of God's faithfulness to us when he could have just walked away and been done. When he could have just wiped the slate clean and started over. God has been faithful to us in numerous ways. But human history shows another thing too. It shows that generation after generation, culture after culture, regardless of how God's grace is displayed, we continue to reject God. We continue to, a man and a woman, reject God's perfect purposes for our lives. That is the story that the Old Testament tells. That's the story of Jewish history, and it's the story of human history. And so Stephen uses that history to make his case, and then he comes to a verdict. Now, I should also say that at this point, the Jewish council that he's speaking to wouldn't have disagreed with anything that he said. As, as he reviewed the past, they would say, yeah, you're right, Stephen. There was some good, there was some bad, there was some ugly. You know, you're right, but get, get, get to your point, Stephen. And so after making his case with the Old Testament, he gets to his point in verse 51, and he brings the verdict. He says, you stubborn people. That should be concerning, Right? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. You deliberately disobeyed though you knew better. Even though God showed up in signs and wonders to give you the Old Testament law. Even though he brought you out of Egypt with the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. Even though prophet after prophet with miracle after miracle testified to his grace and love for you. You continued to walk away from God. And you knew better. The verdict that Stephen comes to that was true in the court of heaven is that we should know better 
human beings, but we reject God anyway. We should know better, but we reject God anyway. And here's the interesting thing. When the truth is told, it always puts lies on the defense, right? Somebody said to me after service, they, they said, the first service, they said, you know what? Um, lies always need to be covered up, but the truth can run around naked. And I was like, that's funny. I don't know where that's at in scripture, but that's funny. <laughs> so you're welcome. But the point is, when the truth is told, the lie has to go on defense. And, and let's be honest, nobody likes their cover blown. Nobody likes to be called out. You know, every, t- every now and then I'm having a husbandly hissy fit with my wife and she kind of calls me out and I hate that. And we all have a choice in that moment, don't we, husbands? Ladies, you have your version, okay? <laughs> but we have a choice when we're called out. We can either humble ourselves, which is way harder work, or we can persist in the lie and justify our actions. And any time the truth is told in the face of a lie, it forces the same decision. Is there going to be a response of humility? Or is there going to be a response of defensiveness and persisting in the lie? And we read what the response is here in the human court that Stephen stands in. In verse 54, it says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, which is the ultimate call sign of true Christians in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who will come up later. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died and became the first known martyr of the Christian faith. Now, this is a heavy story. This isn't how we want the story to end. This isn't justice on the human stage. This isn't how we're taught in our culture to stand up for ourselves. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way, right? We see in this response, we see the world's version versus the Jesus version. We see the world's version of free. Remember, the synagogue of freed slaves. The religious leaders of Old Testament scripture we see those that were supposed to be free respond with demonic fury, murderous fury when confronted with the truth. And then we see a man unjustly accused respond with confidence. In the face of their fury, he doesn't back out and say, whoa, just kidding, guys. Whoa, 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 let's talk about this. No, 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 we don't don't need to go here. I'm flexible. 
No, he says one last cry of the good news. He says, guys, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that verse uh, 54, 55 is a Trinitarian verse. Full of the Holy Spirit, he sees the Son standing, sitting next, standing next to the Father. Right, a Trinitarian experience of the one true God. And he says, I see him. It's a reference to the prophecies in Daniel of when the Messiah was gonna come and rescue people from their sins. He's like, guys, the Messiah is still here calling to you. He declares the gospel one final time. What does he show? He shows confidence in the face of incredible fear. What else does he show? He also shows peace. He says, Father, looks like this is it. Have my spirit. Take my spirit. And then he says, finally, with his final breath, he says, also don't judge them. Don't hold these sins against them. Those last two prayers were taken specifically from Jesus' prayers on the cross, right? Stephen is an example to us of the Jesus way, both in his spirit-filled ministry and in his spirit-filled suffering. The Jesus way responds with confidence and peace and grace for our enemies. And church, that truth will probably be put to the test in your life, in our society. When rage comes against the truth, will you respond with confidence and peace and grace? Not equivalent or greater rage. Not fighting with the weapons of this world, but living the Jesus way. Now, I don't think that most of us will have an end like Stephen's. I don't think that, that most of us will, will be martyred. I, maybe none of us will be martyred. We're not in a society where that's the common way of, of oppressing or challenging uh, truth. But it is happening all around the world. It is something that should break our hearts. It's something that should remind us every time we get to come into this building without fear and declare the praises of God out loud and broadcast it on the internet, we should be reminded that there are Christians around the world whose lives are threatened for doing the same exact thing, which should make us sing all the louder and be all the more grateful and witness all the more boldly because what would they want us to do if they, if we, if they knew we didn't have the consequences that they have? Right, but most of us probably won't be faced with martyrdom, but what does this passage mean for us as brothers and sisters of Stephen, as people who will sit around the banquet table of Jesus with Stephen someday? We need to be reminded that Stephen was simply doing what Jesus has asked all of us to do. Do you remember kind of the purpose statement of the book of Acts? In Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, he set the tone for the entire book and it said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's the reality, whether it ends like Stephen's story or not, we are called to be witnesses of the truth of Jesus. Whether it results in fury or whether it results in people running to Jesus as the story began, 
right? Stephen was doing ministry and people were running to Jesus. They were coming and experiencing Jesus. The church was growing because people were sharing Jesus. There were far more people coming to Jesus than were angry about Stephen preaching Jesus. And that's still true today. There are more people coming to Jesus in the world today than there are people that are standing against Jesus. But regardless of how people respond, we are called to be witnesses of the truth. First, in our worship, we testify every Sunday before the courtroom of heaven in the face of demons and angels when we worship the true God in a broken world that Jesus said, because of human sin, is still the territory of the devil, except where people have called on the name of Jesus. That's a scary thought, by the way. Like, let's be with Jesus. He says, when we declare the worship of Jesus in a broken world, we are declaring before the courtroom of heaven what is actually true. We are testifying on the stand of heaven every Sunday who is the rightful king of this world, who is the true leader of our lives. We are bearing witness to a truth that Jesus died for and the world is dying to hear. Every Sunday and every time you pray, worship, You testify before the courtroom of heaven. But we also testify every day with our words and our actions in the courtroom of this world. You testify before your coworkers, your family, and your friends every day who you are and what you believe and who you belong to. You are always bearing witness to the fact that you either are still in charge of your own life and at the mercy of the devil, or Jesus is in charge of your life and you can rest in his mercy. We are called to be witnesses. And when we have seen and heard the truth of Jesus, we are as accountable as those Jewish leaders are for knowing who the Messiah is and living accordingly. We're accountable. The only question is how will we respond? And here's the cool thing. Sometimes it does mean some suffering. Sometimes it means a loss of relationship or a loss of a a promotion or a loss of somebody treating you with respect and dignity. Sometimes it means those things, but more often it means reward. In fact, according to scripture, it always means reward. Do you remember what Hebrews 12, 2 says about Jesus? It says that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, with joy because he knew that sitting at the right hand of the Father was waiting for him. He knew that the salvation of our souls was waiting for him. He could handle the suffering because he knew the reward was coming. And the same thing is promised for us. In Romans 8, it says in verse 18 that yet what we suffer now, and you may suffer at the hands of persecutors or at the hands of your own broken health or at the hands of death and disease. You may suffer at the hands of an economic situation or an oppressive government. Whatever it is, you will suffer in this broken world. But what we suffer now is nothing, Scripture says, compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Do you want glory or do you just want momentary comfort? I'll take the glory. There's always reward in store and part of that reward is being able to set other people free from the slavery to the lies. Jesus said in that John 8 passage I referenced, verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is no freedom outside of the truth of Jesus. Truth is the starting point of flourishing and we cannot say that we care about anybody in this world if we will not speak truth to them. 
But we also cannot say we care about anybody in this world if we use truth like a war club instead of ministering truth like Stephen did. Confidence, yes, but confidence that leads to peace and grace. Confidence that can honestly say, Father, however they respond, would you just forgive them? Would you have them? I don't want them to face judgment. Confidence that can say, whatever they do to me, Father, I'm entrusting myself to you. Confidence that leads to peace and grace is how we communicate the truth. But the truth has to be communicated. And though it might not always be well received, often it is. Often many people will come to Jesus when you share the truth. They are longing for it, just like you and I were. I know this to be true because when I was confronted with the truth, yeah, there were some things I was like, oh, man, I gotta change some things. But it was worth it because I had a glimpse of glory. I had a glimpse of purpose. I had a glimpse of satisfaction. I had a glimpse of what I was longing for the entire time. So are you sharing the good news of Jesus? Their freedom is part of our reward. And it will be worth it. I'm going to have the worship team come this morning. And in a moment, we're going to take some time to respond. And can I tell you that your response to Jesus is more important than any other takeaway from hearing a guy talk or hearing the scripture read. Your response to God's words every week and throughout the week matters. It is your testimony on the courtroom of heaven. And so, as we respond this morning, I do want to tell you the rest of that story in high school. Uh, though I have lied and had lied many times, I'm not going to pretend like I'm just this perfect person. In that moment, the trajectory of my life began, was changing, and I went with the change. And I did tell the truth, and I did lose a bunch of friends. I did lose a bunch of friends. And at the time, it felt pretty costly. I mean, in high school, that's like everything, right? You lose a bunch of friends. But you know what I found? I found out who I was capable of being. I found out that integrity actually felt pretty good. I found out that the affirmation of the Holy Spirit when I do what is right is a worthwhile reward. That the warmth of my father smiling down on me from heaven and saying, son, I knew you could do it. I was gonna love you either way, but I knew you could do it. It was worth it. You know what else I found? I found that though I lost a handful of friends, what happened in my life over the months, and it didn't take long, but over the months and the years to come, and by the way, this is all before I ever felt called to be a pastor. This is just me trying to walk with Jesus. I found that suddenly my life was having an impact at work. I was having coworkers come to church with me. I found out that my life was having an impact at my high school. I suddenly was finding new friends, but our friendship was based on us trying to figure out how to do life the right way. I found out that that I had time that I had used to use to serve myself, to serve other people, and it was so satisfying. All of a sudden, my life was moving from a place of self-focused angst to God-focused fruitfulness, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And so, yeah, is there a cost, a little cost that we pay when we live according to the truth, when we share the good news of Jesus, when we live out the good news of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, because as I tell my kids, anything worth having is going to cost something. 
But I'll tell you what, the cost does not add up to the reward. It doesn't add up to the reward. And so I have some questions for you to help you respond to Jesus this morning. The first one is this. If you have not all out surrendered your life to Jesus, like just drop, lay the doubts at his feet, he's okay with doubts. Bring them to his feet, but bring them to Jesus. All of your guilt and your shame, bring it to Jesus. He can handle it. Everything that holds you back from Jesus, come boldly saying, Jesus, here it is, but I want you. My life is yours. All out surrender everything you have to Jesus. There is no better way to live. It is the only way to truly live. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, come to Jesus. If you're watching at home this morning, get on your knees in your living room. You don't even have like 300 people watching you. Lucky you. You still need to come to church eventually. But give your life to Jesus. It is the best thing that you can do. And then Christians, you know this. Sometimes we need to do it again and again and again, not because the salvation didn't stick. That part stuck. But the transformation costs us continual surrender, but the fruitfulness is always worth it. So have you surrendered your whole life, every part of it, to Jesus? Do it this morning. Do it this morning. Secondly, Christians, are you living full of the Spirit? Are you a Christian like Stephen or are you a Christian like these religious leaders? They both believed the same Bible. And one group was dead people killing people. And another group was willing to die to save people. Which one are you? Which one are you? Because Jesus deserves more than people that will read his Bible and not live it out. Stop being silent about the love of Jesus. Stop excusing yourself. Don't excuse your sin anymore. Don't excuse your silence when you have life inside of your lips anymore. Don't excuse your selfishness and your greed when you have the ability to clothe the naked and heal the sick. Stop it. Stop being a dead, a dead, pathetic church that is watching our nation go to hell and it has nothing to do with politics. Shame on us for our idolatry of believing that a vote or a candidate is what our nation needs. Jesus. Jesus is what they need. So are you full of the Holy Spirit? Do you wake up every morning saying, Father, have your way in my life. God, would you use me today? If I'm supposed to be silent, shut me up. But Lord, give me an opportunity to speak of your glory, to declare your goodness, to say what you've done in my life. Give me an opportunity. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus did not save you to sit on your butt and feel good about your eternity. He saved you so that you could join him in leading other people into eternity. And when he's ready to bring you home, he will. And then lastly, it's the easiest question. Who are you supposed to be witnessing to? 